Hello and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. The Huskies are coming off a 15-point loss at Gamble Pavilion to Notre Dame. Hannah Hidalgo goes off over 30 points, double-double. UConn had absolutely no answer for her. Paige Beckers has a slow night. Nika Mule ends up in foul trouble and doesn't end up doing a whole lot. Megan, you were there. I was not. So... In your view, what went wrong for the Huskies on Saturday night? Yeah, I think this is the first time we've maybe seen the full impact of the amount of injuries they have to me. Because I think, and not necessarily in that, like, Aubrey would have changed this game. She might have. But in that they need that starting five to all be on the court and be on against a top opponent to get the win. And with Nika being in foul trouble and Paige having an off night, they're just like isn't enough coming in off the bench for them to to pull off a win over a team that's i don't know what top 15 we're called notre dame team so yeah there's just there's just not enough there without kind of them getting what they need from that starting five i mean i think if you look at like the box store and then we can talk about the game itself but i feel like nika being plus 13 when she was on the floor but only playing 18 minutes pretty much like tells the story of what went wrong like they needed her on the floor yeah especially when you have an opposing guard that (laughs) so i was covering hockey while this game is happening and i have it on my ipad next to me while i'm watching and every time i look over it looks like hidalgo is just driving to the basket like no one's defending her and like i jokingly asked have they even tried guarding hidalgo like is anyone aware that that's the problem because it doesn't look like it out there and we've heard that a few times this year that UConn's defense is rarely about one player guarding another they switch a lot they do a lot of different things but there's been a few times this year that Nika has really put her foot down and said no I'm guarding the one that comes to mind is St. John's with Unique Drake I'm guarding Unique like she's mine everyone else figure out what they're doing but I'm staying on her and you don't have that sort of player out there. Sure. She probably still has a really good game. Even if Nika plays all 40 minutes, but you at least get one of your better defensive players. Gino said that he didn't think the communication between the players on the floor defensively was very good. And what have we always heard about Nika Mule is that she improves the communication. So they, they can't live without her. And, I think it just comes to a point that I had talked about a few weeks ago that I think the season is going to end for them because at a certain point they aren't going to have enough. And we saw against Notre Dame that they just didn't have enough with Nika in foul trouble with Paige. She still had 17 points, but that's not a very typical Paige performance. Yeah, Yeah, she was 5 of 17 from the floor. Um, But she also sat some time in the third or in the second quarter. Actually, they're they're only minus five when she was on the floor, so they, they lost a bunch when they had both Nika and Paige at the, on the bench at the end of the half, or first half, which we can talk about in a minute. But. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it's, it's hard to ignore with this team that you have five players that, for the most part, like, yeah, Nika was in foul trouble, Paige didn't play great, but you still generally know what you're getting out of those players for the most part. It's not like... Paige put up a shocker in that she has five points, misses every single shot she takes. She still had 17. That's 
a really good night for 99 other percent of players in the country. Shooting five for 14 is just par for the course for half of these top players in the country anyways. So it's an off <laughs> night for Paige, but she wasn't actively bad. But yeah, I just had that nice, what, stretch of 10 days earlier in the month, but <laughs> she still hasn't really shown that she's someone that you can count on. And Cadence is just still so hot and cold, and we've seen a lot more cold than hot. That's your entire rotation right there. And the starting five is the only group that you can really feel confident in when they're on the floor on a game-to-game basis. You're just living on the edge. That doesn't mean that they can't win games. Like, I don't think anyone... It would be a surprise, but I don't think... It would come out of nowhere if this team went down to South Carolina and somehow handed South Carolina their first loss because we've seen when they're on and everyone's playing well, they're one of the best teams in the country. The problem is when they're not at that really high level, the floor drops very, very quickly, and that's what we've seen against Notre Dame. That's what we've seen against Texas. That's what we've seen against UCLA. That's what we've seen against NC State. There's a huge disparity between when they're playing well and when they're not playing well. And when they aren't playing well, they just dig themselves in so deep of a hole that they can't come out of it. Yeah, exactly. And I felt like this game kind of started when they had the five starters on the floor and no one was in foul trouble. I mean, it was back and forth for a while, but like end of the first quarter, they're like up seven. I think they grew, go up 10. It kind of felt like this is going to be like Creighton and Marquette, like 3.0, like they're just going to go away and run away with it. And then Nika got in foul trouble and Nika came out and things started to dwindle. And then I think the Notre Dame tied it and then Paige was struggling. So Juno took Paige out and then they go into the half down nine. And I feel like that stretch at the end of the first half pretty much felt like it decided the game in a lot of ways. They came back in and, and got it back tied up, I think, in the third quarter or going into the fourth. And then with Nika picking up her fifth foul pretty much at the start of the fourth quarter, it it just all went downhill from there. So I feel like you can kind of pretty much tell. Like, everything went downhill when Nika and Paige were on the bench and when Nika was on the bench. Like, it comes down to, against top opponents, this team needs the majority of the game to have that five out on the floor. Yeah, and what kills me about the way Nika fouled out is you're a senior, Gino's showing a lot of trust in you by putting you back on the floor that early and you pick up your fifth foul in just the dumbest way possible by going for a steal and not having the body control or not having the wherewithal not to just plow into the Notre Dame player because that's a foul a hundred times out of a hundred. It's a foul 101 times Mm -hmm. out of a hundred. You need to play so much smarter than that as a senior, as a such a crucial player. If they get that steal, they don't necessarily win that game. It's not like that is a make-or-break moment. If she does that with 30 seconds left, UConn's up one trying to hold them, and that steal could seal the game for UConn, then you live with that. But with most of the fourth quarter left, you just can't put yourself in that position. And hopefully that's a learning experience because it's not like... Nika's always had her struggles with fouls, but we've never seen it really go that way where she totally takes herself out of a game with fouls, especially in years that they really need her. She was pretty good last year about it. So hopefully it's a learning experience, but you just, 
you can't do it in that fashion. Exactly. Yeah, it wasn't a smart play. She has to play smarter than that going forward if she's in foul trouble. Remember Kristen Williams against Arizona fouled out on one of the worst foul calls you've ever seen? Yeah. If that's how you go out, then that's how you go out. But right. it can't as be an much obvious as, foul. Yes. You know, 10 feet plus from the basket at the beginning of the fourth quarter. <laughs> you can't be trying out for the football team. <laughs> at center court at Gamble Pavilion. That's not going to go well for you when you have four fouls. Yeah, exactly. If there's one thing that I do take away from this game and tie it to the other losses, there's never been any point where they've just totally been run off the court for 40 minutes, where at no point during the contest did they look like they had no business being on the floor. And the games that I think of are... Oregon in 2020 and the last three quarters against Ohio State last mm -hmm. year where they were never in that game. They weren't remotely close to making a comeback, but first and th third quarter, UConn won that won those quarters and then they lost the other two quarters by a big margin. The same thing happened against UCLA against Texas. They opened the fourth quarter 10 for 10 from the field and could only get within six because of their defense. It's not like they were within six at one point. It's not like that was a blowout, regardless of what the final score was. They were up nine on NC State in that first quarter. So we know that this team can play with other top teams. I look at it more as a matter of you got to clean up not so much the finer details, but you just got to raise that floor to keep using that comparison. You can't have the lows be so low that you play yourself out of the game. Or if you're going to do that, the highs have to be so high that they even themselves out. But you got to have some equilibrium there where you're not letting the game get out of hand because of a bad five, ten minutes stretch. Keep yourself in, and if you're within six points to point to the Texas game if you're within six points in the fourth quarter you're giving yourself a chance to go win that game and they didn't against Texas and they didn't deserve to but they were they still had a chance and if that game's at Gamble what does it look like but Notre Dame they let Notre Dame just run away with it in that fourth quarter they didn't give themselves a chance so there's still no doubt in my mind that this team could probably compete with anyone South Carolina is gonna change that opinion obviously but it still feels like the type of team that any given night could also have a really bad night, regardless of the opponent. Yeah, exactly. I think I said at the start, like so much of it depends on the, that five being on. And if the wrong person's off, like it can just all fall apart very quickly. Yeah. I wrote about this in my Villanova preview, but three things have stood out from every single loss. And it's Aaliyah and Paige both not playing up to their ability. That needs to happen every single night with who they have left. They don't have AZ, Aubrey, and Caroline. Those are your other players that can really carry the load. And I'm not going to put that as much as Ashlyn can score in high totals and as much as KK can do a lot. I'm not putting that on them in these big games. If you get that from them, that's great. But if UConn loses in the NCAA tournament, I doubt we're going to be looking at it saying, oh man, if only they got more out of KK or if only they got more out of Ashland. We could, but I imagine the bigger issue is going to be one of Paige or Aaliyah doesn't 
have a really good game because that's just how they have to play. That is all they have left up top. And if you're not getting all-American performances from them, then you're going to have a really tough time beating these really good teams. Yep. I definitely think that's what they need is those two are the most important players on this team right now. And they, they need them both to be on. If Paige hit like a few more of her shots that she normally hits or whatever, it's I think a different game probably on against Notre Dame. And I think that just shows like how crucial she is to this team. Honestly, the fact that this is her second bad performance of the season. And I, I use bad in air quotes, but mm-hmm. That in Texas, Texas being just a Rory Harmon masterclass on defense, but this one felt a lot more self-inflicted in a way where it wasn't like Notre Dame was playing unbelievable defense. She was getting her shots. They just weren't falling. Gino thought that maybe her getting poked in the eye or getting knocked in the head might have just put her off her game. She's been so good in her return from injury that it was probably inevitable that something like this was going to happen. And you hope this is only it because we don't see this much out of Paige, but even on nights where she's not playing that great, she's still got to find a way through. And I don't know if she necessarily did that against Notre Dame. Agreed. It felt like at the beginning of the third quarter she did, but then her shots weren't plowing and I think she got frustrated and and yeah, she's, she's got to find a way to, to play through it. Then the other one is every single time they have lost, an opposing guard has gone off, has been unstoppable, whether it's Anaya Rivers, Kiki Rice for UCLA, Rory Harmon, and now Hannah Hidalgo. That, I think, concerns me more than anything because Paige and Aaliyah, you can control that. And the highs and the lows, which would be my third point, but we really just talked about that, you can... You can work on that internally, and we've seen how fast this team can make improvements. So what they look like in six weeks at the start of the NCAA tournament, you know, we'll see what happens then. But defending guards and really struggling to defend those elite-level guards and letting them go off for these big games, that's something that I'm not totally sure if there's an answer to besides just hoping it doesn't happen. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, if I was making noise, I was flipping through the no, basketball. I was doing... It's all good. <laughs> I was just doing the math right now because I was... What you said at the beginning about, you know, I had a Hidalgo and Nika being off the floor and I only got through half the game so far, but 16 of Hannah Hidalgo's 19 first half points came when Nika was on the bench. So <laughs> I feel like that just shows you everything you need to know about that. I don't even need to go through the second half. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that alone will will tell you plenty i'd still like for them to not be yeah you can only have the players you have available but i would have liked to see page have a better defensive performance and page isn't a great defender because of her one-on-one abilities it's because she's been really good with her steals and her blocks and she's made progress in that one-on-one but she's not going to be a nika or Kia nurse type player on the defensive end. That's not really how she makes an impact back there, but maybe it's KK Arnold or Ashlyn shade. I didn't watch closely enough to know if they tried that, but you have to have some sort of backup where, okay, you don't have Nika on the floor. Maybe Nika just, oh man, I really don't want to put bad things in the universe. Just has to be 
out of the game for a few possessions for one reason or her, another. Like, she gets blood on her jersey and the refs make her go out. I'm surprised that hasn't happened yet in her career. But just something <laughs> where you're going to be without Nika for a little bit for whatever the reason is. You need to have some sort of backup plan that you can live with if it's a Sweet 16 or an Elite 8 or a Final Four game where it's not going to sink you if she's not on the floor for a certain stretch. you got to figure out what that plan B is going to be, whether it's double-teaming the star guard and just making someone else beat you, maybe that's it, or seeing what K.K. Arnold can do as a one-on-one defender. She's got the quickness to guard anyone in the country, Whatever it is, they need to have something built in so that when it happens again, because inevitably they're going to be without Nika Mule. They need, they're going to need to give her a break at some point in some game against a really good guard. How do they do that? And just to transition that into the upcoming game against Villanova, they have a really good opportunity to figure that out with Lucy Olsen. Yeah, exactly. I'm really interested to see how they defend Lucy Olsen on in this game. And they'll see her again, too, in a, a few weeks before the season ends. So at least twice before the end of the year, which I think is a good test of how they come or how far they come on the, the defense or defense on like one of the top guards in the country. She's seventh in the country in scoring. Like at this point, I think it's pretty fair to say she's up there with the top guards in the country. So I think that's the biggest focal point, honestly, of this game on Wednesday is how do they defend Lucy Olson, And do they let her go off for 35 or are they able to do a better job? Right. Not only the how of how many points does she score and how does she play, but also just how they attack her. Is it just Nika shadowing her? Are they starting with Nika and then having Nika pass her off to someone on screens are they pressing and just getting the ball out of Lucy Olsen's hands before she can even get over half court? I think the way that they go at her is going to be really interesting because it's not like the coaching staff doesn't know what they've done against top guards. There's going to be something that they try to in order to fix that, in order to turn it around. And maybe it's not necessarily this game that they go with it, but yeah, they'll see Villanova at least one more time. It could obviously happen again in the uh, what conference are they in the Big East tournament? I almost called it the <laughs> AAC tournament, but yeah, this is it's a really intriguing matchup in terms of timing based on what just happened and how this Villanova team is set up. Agreed. Oh, I think you know if you contain Lucy Olson, you uh, got a very good shot to pretty easily beat this Nova team. Like she is this team at the moment, but I think. You want to see them beat them because they contain Lucy Olsen and not just because they don't want anyone else to beat them. It is interesting that Villanova, really more than any other school, and I don't even think it's close, has given UConn more trouble since coming back to the Big East. And having a player like Maddie Segrist helps, but Maddie Segrist alone is not the reason that they beat UConn at the XL Center two years ago. It's not the reason they almost beat UConn at the XL Center last year. The fact that it was... Three games decided by 11 points or fewer. Denise Dillon's a really good coach. She's going to have a really good game plan for this contest. And I don't think she's going to put it all on Lucy Olsen's shoulder. Yes, she is the star, but 
if it is the type of performance where it's go let someone else other than Lucy Olsen beat you, I'm curious to see if Villanova just leans into that. I don't know that she can single-handedly beat this team. I still think they have probably too much talent for that, but I still think, like, you you want to see an adjustment from what happened on on Sunday in this game. And it doesn't have to be yeah. all the way there. It's probably not going to be all the way there. It's only been, what, three days, but you, a step in the right direction. Yeah, I think UConn probably comes out and plays pretty well in this game. And it almost felt like Gino, in a way, was happy that his team had a loss to learn from in non-conference play. So in the in the conference standings, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it hurts their NCAA tournament resume a fair amount. But we've seen how important losses can be for this team. We know how much Gino appreciates, can can utilize a loss into his team's favor. I could see them having gotten a little complacent, having won 13 straight, not really being challenged at all in that stretch and refocusing them. But regardless of whether or not they do or don't, how they respond and how they come out and treat that loss against Villanova, who isn't the team that they were last year that genuinely competed with UConn for the regular season title, but is still a good competitive conference team on the road it'll be it'll be a really good test of this team's medal this is a chance to one pick up a good win and just a really good test for this team on the road like you said and there's a lot to take away from the game despite it not being you know like it's big top 25 opponent yeah it's all data points and for a while we were talking about how there wasn't really anything new going on with this team because it was the same win over and over again. We're going to learn something about this team. We're going to learn something about the freshmen. We're going to learn something about Paige. Very interested to see how Aaliyah plays against Christina Dulce because I think they have a lot of similarities in their game, but Aaliyah is just on another level with her entire skill set. So how does she handle going up against a, a good conference big can she just really put her stamp on that matchup? Because if you can shut down Dulce, who I think she's really the only other major threat that this Villanova team has besides Lucy Olson. Yeah, exactly. I think that would be a really good point uh, or match matchup too to watch in terms of where Aaliyah is. But I, I think Aaliyah is kind of there. We've we've seen it when her playing against Dulce in the past. I think we saw a we didn't really talk about bright spots in the game from Notre Dame because they lost, but like she played extremely well against Notre Dame. Um, and Brendan Notre Dame's front court, like, isn't what it has been in past years. But I mean, Maddie Westfold is right there with Aaliyah on the, the power forward watch list. So I thought how she played against Notre Dame and the fact that they couldn't do anything to stop her was a really good sign. Yeah, Notre Dame might not have an elite of the elite front court, but it's also not bad. So mm-hmm. what we talked about for years with Liv is that she would put up like 25 points and 15 rebounds against a Tulsa team that didn't know that women could grow taller than six feet. Like <laughs> She'd be going up against someone that was 5'8", and yeah, obviously Liv's going to have 25 and 15, then someone that's actually got some size would go up against her and it would be a different story but 
the fact that Aaliyah played that well against a a solid front court, a, a front court that is better than a good chunk of the country, even if it's not elite, I think it's it's just a really good sign for how far she's come, even just this season. Exactly, and I think we've seen her kind of be consistent for the last month too in that or probably a little bit more than that, but and that going into that Notre Dame game where it's a top opponent and still seeing it be consistent, I think is a really good sign and points to kind of like, can she keep being consistent night in and night out? And obviously got, you know, the Nova game, other conference games coming, and then the big test for her will be when they get down to South Carolina. That South Carolina game is going to tell us a whole lot about this team. Yeah. Yep. Because... It's it's got all the elements. It's got a, a big for Aaliyah to deal with, which Camilla Cardosa is not exactly beating the the allegations that she is just tall this season, but she is still very tall. And <laughs> that is a factor. Then they've got such a good backcourt. And we've seen how much UConn struggles with really good backcourts. They are not an unbeatable team. It's going to be tough being at South Carolina, but we saw LSU really give them a run for their money and LSU really just threw that chance away. So an LSU team that just lost to Mississippi state on Tuesday. So (laughs) their second loss to an unranked team. At least Mississippi state is like a respectable loss in comparison to Auburn. Yeah. No offense to Auburn, but (laughs) But still, UConn's four losses are all top 15 teams. Right. Yeah. So. No, it's it's a different playing field for sure. I'm just saying, like, I, I feel like losing at Mississippi State, at least it's like a tournament team on the cover. Right. <laughs> right. Look, LSU is just doing their, their conference a favor with how bad the SEC is, <laughs> just like UConn did with St. John's last year. Lose to St. John's, get them in the tournament. It works out well for everyone. <laughs> exactly helping those sec bubble teams yeah but no that i think is going to be the one where we can finally say all right this is what the realistic expectation is for this team going into march because i still look at this outlook for this team as they probably could win a national championship if a lot of things go their way i think it's a long shot but they could do it the final four is a realistic goal if they end up in a good bracket and some things go their way. An Elite Eight is probably a pretty attainable goal. A Sweet 16 is mandatory, and you kind of go from there. But if, if they go down to South Carolina and pull out a really good signature win and maybe somehow get themselves on the one line with that, then that changes. And if they go down to South Carolina and can't even compete with them for 40 minutes, then that changes things on the other side. And if it's just the exact same as the other four losses, then we're back where we were, but we at least know where we are. Yeah, exactly. That game is going to tell us so much. Sorry, already like, can we just get to that game? I'm so guilty of wanting to like fast forward to the big ones. <laughs> I know. I'm excited for the it's Nova least... game, but then it's like boring until you get to that. <laughs> it's at least better than the last two years where we get to December, the key player gets injured and now we just say, all right, time to wait well, until they get back and true <laughs> nothing really matters before then so true. there's at least, at least something there's <laughs> and yeah and 
we've seen that they can't take St. John's lightly based on last year. <laughs> we've seen that Seton Hall, that's going to be a physical game. That should at least be an entertaining one. Then, yeah, you got South Carolina there. Ten games left in the season. It feels like a lot, but I think February, January. I'm no, I know I'm not the only one that's felt like this, but January has lasted at least three months. Oh, really? I feel like it flew by. I don't even know oh. what happened. Uh, this this month has not ended. For me, <laughs> at least. And it's still we still have one more day to go. <laughs> but February usually seems to go quick because you're right on the cusp of March. The regular season's starting to wrap up. Then March is March. It flies. In a blink of an eye, the season's over. It's April, and we're able to breathe again. Yep. <laughs> It's also like senior day or senior night is a really, really weird night. It's February 16th. It's not even the last game at Gamble, but it's a Friday night as opposed to a Wednesday. So I imagine it's easier for families to get in for that. But they still have four games left, including two at home and one at Gamble before senior night is even over. Or after senior night is what I mean. So that's also going to be weird on top of every single senior that's going to participate in senior day is going to be eligible to come back and they will not be saying whether they're going to come back. So everyone could be standing and cheering for Leah and Paige and Nika, and then have them just all roll out into the starting lineup for the season opener next year. (laughs) Very true. At the very least, like I think, even if Paige and Nika right now know that they're coming back, I still bet they participate just because it's their class. It's who they've... Oh, I forgot Aubrey too. Sorry, Aubrey. But they came in together. They've gone through a whole lot together. I think it makes sense for them to all participate in senior day together, especially if there's some question marks about who is going to be back next year. Yeah, Definitely. But speaking of boring games to close out the year, Xavier, Georgetown, you got Creighton and Villanova, but DePaul and Providence. Oof. Rough stretch. <laughs> yeah, that's not exactly a uh, barn burner there. Regardless, should be a good game on Wednesday. I don't think it's going to be... Well, if it is like a 40-point blowout, I think it'll still be a pretty entertaining 40 point 40 point blowout sorry i can't speak yeah i agree i also think like even if it's a 40 point blowout like i think the interesting things about this game are not necessarily the final score and more about some of the specific matchups that we talked about yeah i still think there's a game where Paige goes off for like 40 this year just randomly maybe this, i don't know if it's wednesday yeah, maybe it is, but I, I still think we get just one of those games where Paige can't miss. They keep feeding her. She keeps hitting and ends up with a real crooked number in a game that they don't really need her to. I mean, it for all I know, it could happen in the NCAA tournament, but I think it's just going to be there. She's randomly going to set her sights on some poor Big East team that doesn't know it's coming. <laughs> yeah, I could see it being no, but just because like, I'm sure she's frustrated with her performance on Saturday. The old take it out on the team that didn't do anything to you. That old UConn yeah. <laughs> teams were so good at. 
on that note, that'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. Next week, we will finally preview that South Carolina game. Other than that, thanks for listening.